you guys. Well, um, we're going through a whole range of emotions today, <laughs> um, but um, we are just so thankful for y'all and uh, thankful that we can pray together. Um, well, as we get into God's word today in Ephesians, we're going to be wrapping up um, today uh, in the spiritual warfare and also in uh, Jordan's going to take us to the very end of Ephesians next week. And also we'll be giving a little bit of a missions update. And so really stay tuned for that of uh, some of our members overseas. Um, so really excited about that. Um, well, back when we were dating, um, my wife and Christine have been married for um, 15 years and um, Christine, way back when we were dating, we were playing badminton in the front house, in the front of her house. And so, um, so when the birdie got stuck in a palm branch, um, I did what was the noble thing. And as a husband, I was like, I'm going to get that birdie. And so I went over to the tree, and then I jumped up there. Uh, and try to grab the palm tree branch, only to realize that the palm tree was razor sharp. And eventually, I grabbed the branch, but I ended up with blood coming out everywhere on my thumb and my fingers. And so when I went to urgent care, the physician asked, hey, how did you get this injury? And um, were you trying to save something? Were you trying to save a dog, a cat, or what, what were you doing? And I was like, um... I was trying to save a birdie, and uh, she's like, oh, like a real bird, right? I'm like, no, it was a badminton birdie, and she just laughed. She just sat back and had a good laugh. She's like, at least you could have made this kind of story a little bit more interesting. At least make it about, you know, saving, you know, a bird or, or a cat or a dog or something. But the point is that I was completely taken off guard. I went in with my own strength, thinking that I knew how to save something, and I came out wounded. And Paul closes his book of Ephesians with an urgent message. Don't be caught off guard. A lot of us Christians are jumping off and into and trying to handle palm branches and coming out wounded because we're handling things with our bare hand. We're lulled into the sense of false safety and security that has all too often I think it is matched by where we live, that we don't necessarily have bombs dropping down on the street, and we don't hear explosions on a routine basis like so many of our brothers and sisters around the world. And so we are in this place in which we don't think that we're in wartime, but we're not in a playground. We are in a battleground, and the truth is that we live in a world that is declared war on us. Our flesh has declared war on us, and our old age enemy, Satan, has put a target on our backs. And he's come out to completely obliterate and destroy all that God wants to do. And so this is the context of Ephesians chapter 6. As we get into this, how can we be ready to understand we are not in playgrounds, we are in a battleground for our souls, and yet, how, do we, how are we ready to stand? Well, let's take a look at verses 10 through 13. Verses 10 through 13. 
And the word of God reads, finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole army of God, that you, whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Father, I just pray that, Lord, you would speak your word today. I pray that the truth of God would undergird us, pierce into even our deepest defenses. I pray that you would lay open and bare all of our hearts, that we would just open ourselves to your work and what you want to do today. Lord, do whatever you want to do today, and we submit to you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing that we're going to go through just two simple points. First thing is that how do we stand? How do we be ready? The first point is this. Look at the warrior. Look at the warrior. When Paul says, finally, he's not only closing both this section that started in chapter 4, verses 1. Notice how he started in verse 1, chapter 4. He says, I therefore urge you as a prisoner of the Lord or for the Lord. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He is not only closing up this section of how to walk worthy of our calling as believers in all facets, including all the relationships that we have, both our husband-wife relationships, our child-parent relationships, and as Jordan masterfully talked about last week, um, just about in that culture, in that context, the slave and the master relationship and uh, that Jesus Christ is offering something completely new, new wineskins. And he's saying that though the world offers a power-filled patriarchy of people controlling people, he offers a different option, a different way in which Jesus Christ completely subverts the power structure of that day. And that Jesus is creating a new humanity, a new kingdom, and a new community, um, and is ushering his creation to be reconciled, both heaven and earth, to become and renewed as the kingdom um, of God. And he's completely flipping up everything upside its head. And Jesus is that king of that kingdom, and yet his kingdom is one of truth, but also of grace. And he's closing up this entire epistle as if to say, as you seek to submit to Christ as Lord in your households, in your relationships, here's something else that you don't have to submit to. It is the spiritual darkness that that is at work in this world, but Jesus, I have overcome. Jesus is completely sovereign over the spiritual darkness of the world. But just in case you thought the world's going to be a playground, it's not. I want to prepare you. You're still in spiritual war. Paul underlies that by saying, be strong, not just once, but twice. 
um, here. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And this should be read as a passive imperative, meaning that the strengthening comes from outside of you. It should be said and read to be made strong or to be strengthened, of saying that you're not battling this alone, but also you're being strengthened by a power that comes from outside of you and is the power of the living God. Amen? You are not going into war without weapons. You're going into war with the king of kings, the one who came back from the dead. And that is what we are going into war. The temptation is to get distracted by the enemy, by the battle, and then just get filled with despair. But above all, family, this is what God is saying in this text. Above all, Jesus wants you to see him today. In this text and as you are submitting yourselves to Christ, that he is fighting the battle with you and for you and for his glory. In Ephesians, we've read that Jesus is reconciling heaven and earth in chapter 1, verse 10. In chapter 1, verse 20, he's also victorious over all powers. Everything is subject to Jesus, that he's also the head of the church in verse 21. And that God's power God's presence is already at work in them because they are living temples, Ephesians chapter 2, right? And Jesus is that chief cornerstone. And yet the Spirit of God through the blood and life and death, resurrection, and the intercession of Jesus, that he is dwelling inside of us and in his church as a temple. And now God's power is at work among them, moving to a new creation, a new, in a sense, beginning, a new kingdom. And he's just going to bring everything into his appointed ends. So I just want to encourage us, don't look at the war. Look at the warrior. Um, through this paragraph, Paul sustained imagery is drawn from, uh, what do you know, the prophecy of Isaiah, which describes the armor of Yahweh, which is God's personal name, um, and his Messiah. It just pictures this, this picture of the Lord of hosts as a warrior dressed for battle. And I think there's something here. It's saying that as he goes forth, he's going to vindicate his people. And I think there's something for us dwelling deeply on this image, um, especially as we're just rebounding from what happened in this past week in Maine and what's going on in the Middle East that God is, is a warrior, but he is a kindly ruler, unlike anybody else. And he will rescue his people. If you turn with me in Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah chapter 59, um, and I just want us to see this. This is just one of maybe four or five passages depicting Jesus as the warrior. And we're just going to start from verse 15. Uh, the last half of verse 15. The Lord sees a lack of justice, kind of like what we may see today. And I'm so comforted because the, it starts off with saying, the Lord saw it. 
and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And I just want to say straight out, I know that there's so much suffering. And it almost seems like, why this war imagery, God? Why, why do we need to have, and have this kind of imagery? And, and I just want to say that it's not God's wrath that leads out. It is his kindness that leads to repentance. And our question should be not why, God, do you allow this? Although the Lord gives us space to, in those moments, to cry out to him. And honestly, there are some things that are happening in the, in the world that I just grieve, and I am just aghast. Um, just even some things that I've heard in my in personal life or with friends, it just makes me want to cry out and cry. But yet, on the other take is that God's patience, um, God's kindness leads to repentance. And that God can bring and will bring perfect justice. That he is both a tender and kind God, but also he is one who is a warrior. And you see this in this text that as he's seeing no justice, the first thing is he sees. He sees the injustice. But more so, I think he sees even the greater injustice of the world not worshiping him. His glory is offended, y'all, right? I mean, he is the God of gods, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, and so often in our lives, in the last 24 hours, how we have grieved him by our sin. How much more so is our Lord grieved by the sin, um, and the rebellion of the last thousands and thousands of years, and yet he's so patient. But what you see here, his arm brings him salvation, a breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation, and garments of vengeance for clothing. And I think what Jesus wants us to see is that he says, hey, I've worn this armor into battle. I've put on this breastplate of righteousness. I've put on this helmet of salvation. And I have this whole armor, and I want to give it to you. There's a battle raging in the spiritual realm that quite honestly, you see, if you took one look, if you were privileged to be able to see that, it would blow your mind. And I don't speak that with um, lightness. I, I think it would blow your mind. But I know there are people who do, maybe even people in this room that can see And the worst, Satan's greatest lie in the West, as Peter Swan has always shared, is to say this, that 
he doesn't exist. That is the greatest lie in the West, that he doesn't exist. And all this spiritual warfare is just all in our minds. And the enemy's tactics in our day is to downplay the battle. But when you look at the text back in Ephesians, you'll see that the danger is to downplay that battle, but Paul drives it home five times, and he says five times he repeats against to emphasize the cunning nature, the nonstop evil nature of the enemy um, until he is one day unseated by the king of kings. And one day there will be. Satan is just God's Satan, as Martin Luther would say. He is not invincible, but he is having his day. And I just want to say, man, oh man, the last five years at Hope, spiritual warfare has just become so real to me. The Bible says that we are not just engaged in a fight, but we are wrestling. Um, we are wrestling um, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, against the spiritual forces of evil in this spiritual uh, darkness. And a lot of us would say, a lot of us would say, probably honestly, man, I, I think I'm just saying these things and I'm, I'm feeling something, but I must be crazy. Or this is probably just all in my mind. But it's really real. Um, I have a friend who served in the Marines and one day I made the foolhardy decision to wrestle him. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, I'm, and back then I was a lot, I, I thought maybe because I was, um, <laughs> uh, I had a, a bigger, bigger stomach, I could probably try to squash him. I don't know what was going on. I was probably crazy. It was intense and it was sh short. In my mind, I think it was five seconds, but it was probably only two seconds where he literally swept me under my legs and then just took his legs and, and just swept me under and then like took me in a chokehold and I just could not move. I was losing it. I was like blacking out. And I think if he did that longer, I probably would have blacked out. But that's kind of how the scriptures say that we're engaged in a wrestling match with the heavenly forces. Just like there's a hierarchy of angels. And we see this hinted to in Ephesians 1.21 and also explicit in Jude chapter 9 where one of the highest archangels, Michael, contends with Satan himself. Even he at the very highest rung of the hierarchy contended with Satan himself, and he said this, the Lord rebuke you. There is a hierarchy, brothers and sisters, that is just a copycat of the real thing, of the real angelic hierarchy where Jesus Christ is on his throne. See, the enemy wants to just copycat everything, including that power structure. But just know that Jesus has given us a Authority in this demonic realm. The demonic realm has many different levels, cosmic, territorial, spirits, and now list to maybe having a, uh, we see that in Daniel, having control, these demonic powers have control over geographical areas. And then, <clears throat> probably what we fo probably focus more on on a day-to-day -day basis for most of us, just ground-level spirits. 
um, whether it will be invited us on us through our own sin, and we invite the enemy and permissions to come in uh, to maybe take a root of bitterness in our hearts or maybe a point of jealousy, and then the enemy just use that to exploit it for his own ends. Whatever that might be, there is ground-level warfare. And the most important thing is that you, when you wake up, the first thing is your mind should be, I'm in war. From the very first thing, there exists a fight where you will either respond in worship and praise or you will worship the enemy with ungratefulness and discouragement. When you have spat with your wife, will you let anger come in and the foot of resentment to come in and take hold in your heart? Well, the enemy wants to infiltrate that. He wants to find openings in your armor to try to take you out. He wants to take you out in any way he can. And see, you're in hand-to-hand combat, and God has given us his spiritual weapons of discipleship, the church, repentance, and prayer. And verse 13, he repeats again to take upon the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. This is the Greek word panoply, which it means the full battle gear of a soldier. This is both the offensive and the defensive weaponry. And so if this is true, that we have the whole armor of God, that we have the power to withstand in the evil day, this evil day in which we're living in, the singular evil, evil, evil day points to a day in which there's significant spiritual attack and when the temptation to give in is really strong. And if we're honest, that's probably all of our days. And not just now, but also in the end times when Jesus is and will usher in his kingdom. Um, we're not just talking about sometime later in the future. We're talking about this overlap time in the evil age and the kingdom of God breaking in. I want to encourage you, don't be lulled into this false sense of security. Yes, there are times of rest and there are times of healing that needs to occur, but be prepared. The enemy will want to go on the attack and he will do it when we least expect it. But don't fear. God has not left us unprepared. Don't look at the war, but look at the warrior and look at what he has given us. He has given us the whole armor of God. He's given us everything. Find your strength in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Because when you have Jesus, you have everything. You have the warrior behind you, physically, spiritually, giving you this battle armor and saying, hey, I fought the battle. I've won the war. Here's the armor. You will stand. You don't fight for victory. You fight from victory. Amen? So verses 14 through 18 in Ephesians chapter 6, let's kind of go on here, 14 to 18. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer 
and supplication. See, the main command here is to stand. And it's knowing that you've done and that God has done everything he needs to do to make you ready. But what we do kind of gloss over here is this last part, which is in, that ends off in verse 18, prayer. And we get kind of caught up in the armor of God that we forget about what we are called to stand to do and we're called to stand and pray. Well, and that is the greatest, really the most formidable weapon. But let's kind of work through this a little bit. When battling in spiritual warfare, you want to make sure that you've done everything that needs to be, to be ready. You cannot do it on your own strength. Satan is a formidable enemy, but he's not undefeatable. We know this because Jesus, our divine warrior, has defeated Satan soundly on the cross. And you look at Ephesians 2, 13 through 14, where how Christ has um, preached once who, to us, once we were once far off, but we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he himself is our peace, and he's broken down the dividing wall uh, in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. And just remember that by his death, resurrection, and his ascension, um, that Jesus has broken the walls down between us and God and also us and man. And then also just remember after that, Jesus sent out the disciples two by two. And they were even bragging that demons were subject in their names. And Jesus, remember what Jesus said to them? He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So yes, Satan does masquerade as an angel of light. His demons are hell-bent to take us down with him. So there are times in which you go through times of attack, maybe even heavy attack. Maybe you're, you're serving for the Lord. Maybe you're praying for somebody and you just come under heavy attack when you're drained and exhausted and tired. I just want to encourage you, again, this message of just looking to Jesus, our warrior, and he's given us his armor. And with that, he's given us his authority and presence. But what I would like us to see is that this is not just about Roman. These pictures are not Roman weaponry. But I think it's just glimpses in the Old Testament of Yahweh who's being a warrior. Um, for the first one, it says, Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. What we see is that that's a picture from Isaiah 11.5. Isaiah is speaking prophetically of the stump of Jesse here, of a future Messiah who will deliver justice to an unjust world, just similarly what we talked about in Isaiah 59. And this Messiah, this, 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 this Savior, has the Spirit of God coming over him, and guess what's on his waist? Well, 11.5 says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And brothers and sisters, we're called to fasten on this belt of truth, that Jesus is the word of God. His word is truth. And so that is the most important, that when you fight the enemy, you are fighting with the truth of God. And even in the more immediate context, that we're doing that together. In Ephesians 4.15, believers were exhorted to speak the truth in love. In Ephesians 4.25, it instructs us to put away um, uh, put away the lying and speaking and speak the truth to one another. And again, it was in the context of spiritual warfare, of the devil gaining a foothold in a believer's heart. And so we're called to buckle up the belt through um, the girdle or the belt of Christ. And so we are looking to Jesus and his truth, and we've got to ground ourselves in the truth of Christ. Secondly, Paul reminds us to put, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, he put on a righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. 
Our warrior, Jesus, he's a righteous one, and by his righteousness, he has justified us now, and 10 years from now, 20 years from now, until we actually see him face to face, he, the, the degree of justification will no longer change. We remain 100% justified, and now he stands as our armor. And so when the enemy wants to attack and stands over you as an accuser, remember, Jesus stands as your advocate, and he has made you righteous by his righteousness being imputed or transferred to your account. Next, Paul tells us that we've been given gospel shoes for our feet. We look at Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. In the context of God's enemies are nothing to God, and that one day there will be a day where enemies will seize and all people will know his name. Isaiah writes this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's the Jesus that has given us and made peace through his blood and also now causes us to be called as we go that we got, we got some new kicks. And those kicks <laughs> are not Nikes. Um, they are kicks of bringing and publishing the gospel of peace. In other words, you're going on the offensive, right? You're going on the offensive as you're going out, and wherever you are going, you are proclaiming, as Bob Stroud would say, the kingdom of God is here, and he's at work. And every time you share about Jesus, every time you share about what God is doing in your life, every time you share a little bit about the gospel story, you are doing major damage to the enemy. And when someone transfers their lordship to Christ, there's a domain transfer of one who has been under the domain of darkness and the chains have fallen off and they are free to go into the kingdom of his marvelous light, Colossians 1, 13 to 14. So youth, especially youth, whenever you're in your schools, you can proclaim that every single day. There's a lot of darkness in our schools today, but one thing you can do is just say, Jesus, your kingdom is here. Help me to bring the gospel of peace to wherever I go. I want to publish the kingdom of God. I want to publish the fact that God reigns and he's moving despite the chaos and the darkness. Um, shield of faith um, is, again, to extinguish the flaming missiles of the evil one, to extinguish the lies of the enemy against us in the OT. The shield is commonly seen as an image of God's protection over his people. Um, we see that in so many passages, but we have this beautiful picture that God is our defender. He is our protector. He's the one who shields all around us. That beautiful passage in Psalm that, God, you are a shield around us. And in a similar way, Jesus is that shield. Helmet of salvation, I love it. The wording here is to receive the helmet of salvation, which is that is key because we do not save ourselves, amen? We are given salvation. It is a gift from the living God. Paul reminds us, for by grace you've been saved, and that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And that same salvation not only guards us for eternal life, our salvation guards us um, so that we uh, can proclaim this eternal life to those around us. And yet we have this helmet of salvation. Then we have the sword of the Spirit. You need to go nowhere else than Matthew 
uh, three and four of just seeing how Jesus disarmed the enemy um, just by fighting with Scripture in the wilderness. And in the same way, as we are full of the Word of God, we become battle-ready, and we're going to wield the sword of the Spirit. We're going to, especially in times of most intense trial and temptation and exhaustion, we're going to wield the Scriptures. And it's kind of like when I was playing a little bit of battle with my kids, um, you know, uh, they, they were uh, dressing up in this like camo gear and, you know, he had on his baseball socks and he his baseball helmet. This is Ezra. Um, and he was telling me about, hey, my socks are bulletproof and missile proof and, um, and, um, and just it's like invincible, you know. And I was just like looking at him and I was just like, yeah, in, in Christ you are. <laughs> but it was just, just a reminder to me that we are given spiritual armor. And one of those things is that we have the sword of the Spirit to guide us and to swing that sword, that our swords are not one that are made of connects or Legos or wood, but we have spiritual weapons. And how does that all connect together? Well, it has to do with verse 18. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints. How that all ties together is this, that all this weaponry goes back to prayer um, because we've, again, put on this armor and prayer goes back to verse 14 to stand firm. So as you're strapping on this armor, you're not just called to fight blindly. You're called to fight and to war through prayer. Somebody said prayer is foundational for the deployment of all other weapons. Whereas somebody else said it, putting on, taking up, receiving God's armor all required an attitude of dependence on God. Prayer for strengthening from God can be seen as a major way in which believers use the divine armor and are enabled to stand. Somebody said this, that prayer may be the believer's most effective way of wielding the weapons of spiritual warfare, especially in intercession. So just as you know, as you're swinging the sword of the scriptures, as you're pouring into the Word of God, and as you're praying the Word of God, that as you're praying the Word of God, God is going to hear His own Word and honor His own Word, and it will be a heavy, heavy broadsword. And it's going to have spiritual weight and change things. And in short, um, we're not only to pray for ourselves, but we're called to pray for others. And that, there's a prayer and there's a power in that. Today I felt so weak. The last couple days, the last week, I felt so weak in preaching this message. And I've asked people to pray for me. Even this morning, y'all praying for me. And I, I'm so thankful because, you know, it just reminds me of my weakness, that in my weakness that God wants to move and fight for me. He is my warrior. He is the one who intercedes for me, even interceding for me right now. And as you all are interceding for me, my wife also saw me struggling and was praying for me yesterday. And I just want to say I'm so thankful for your prayers. It's uplifting me right now. 
And that's why I'm so excited about our vision of raising up a culture of prayer at Hope Church. I'm so thankful that um, the elders have set up the uh, prayer room uh, that will be available for members 24-7. We just had a training this morning on post-sermon prayer. All those who are serving on our post-sermon teams, prayer is going to be that foundational um, critical weapon for the deployment of all other wings. Because we've got to be battle ready. We need to stand in war in prayer. So we're going to talk about that, but I don't want to just talk about that. We're going to spend some time and pray about that. And so um, I just want to invite the prayer team to come forward. And we're just going to have some um, time just to soak up that word from the Lord. And we're going to spend some time praying for our own hearts. Then, the second part of it, of prayer, as I lead this time, would just be prayer. Maybe God has put on your heart to pray for somebody else in this room. Maybe it's somebody you've already been praying for. Maybe something God has just put on your heart in the last 10 minutes or 10 seconds. But I just would love for you to just have that freedom that even as we pray and after this time of prayer, there will be prayer partners in the front of our room just ready to receive you in prayer for anything that the Lord has put on your heart. We also want to invite you that there's freedom here in this place. So feel free to bow, to kneel. If God's leading you to somebody to pray for that person, go and pray for that person. This space is the Lord's space. And we just want God to do whatever he wants to do. So just want to invite you to just feel and be released to be in that freedom to respond in whatever way you want to do, whether receiving prayer or even just praying for somebody next to you. Maybe you're praying for your spouse next to you or praying for your kids. But will you just sit right now with the Lord and see what he has to say to you? Will you just meditate on this image of Jesus as a warrior? That he's not fighting a battle. He's not won yet. He's already won. of a king and invite him to speak to you.
thank you so much for giving us freedom. Give us freedom in this place. Release any burdens that we have to you, anything that we came in struggling with, whether it be the chaos of our lives or broken relationships. Lord, thank you that you're speaking redemption over us. And you want us to respond and just confess, even just our desperate need of you. And then secondly, maybe the Lord might be just leading you to think about somebody in this room or maybe just somebody in your life that he wants you to pray over or speak a word of encouragement. Or maybe he just wants to give you a prophetic word or an impression or just a a scripture. Um, We just pray that right now. Just ask the Lord, Lord, do you have anything for me right now for somebody else? that I can encourage them with. Let's do that. Father, as we enter the spiritual war, we pray that you would just help us to battle, battle hard, knowing that, Jesus, you are that warrior. You're the one who has conquered all things, death and sin and Satan. We respond out of victory because we know you've given us your battle armor. And, Lord, we just pray that you would also call us out of our comfort zone, that we would not just pray for um, just our own hearts, but that you would just invite us to pray for others today. Lord, speak through this time, and we invite you here. In Jesus' name. 